The Digital Adoption Show brought to you by WhatFix. Hello everyone. Welcome to the new season of the Digital Adoption Show season 3. I'm your host Tamana and I head the global growth marketing here at WhatFix. Today I'm really excited to host Cameron Wood, formerly known as Kimmy Wood. She works as a global director of learning new experiences at GoDaddy. She has more than a decade of cross industrial experience in the L&D space with companies like GoDaddy, Sprint, T-Mobile, and many more. She's bringing in immense expertise and has a knack for making people learn creatively. Welcome to the show, Kimmy. Thank you so much, Tamara. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. And I'm sure uh, there's a lot that we have in store for our listeners today. So Kimmy to start with uh, why don't you tell us a little about yourself your experiences in L&D as a L&D professional the organizations you have worked with and your journey so far in the L&D space Absolutely so my career began in retail just your traditional retail my first job ever was actually uh, working for a toy store and at it, the young age of 16 I did not realize that joining the staff of a toy store in the middle of the holiday season was probably not a good idea. I didn't know any better, and so I jumped right in with both feet first and I had a blast. And um I was introduced to the world of sales uh via toys. And so I spent a good majority of the first uh, years of my career um climbing the corporate ladder if you will in the retail space. And then about 10 years into um my retail leadership career, I uh, stumbled upon T-Mobile and T-Mobile is wireless uh sales and so I was really nervous because I was not what you would consider a tech person. <laughs> um but my my husband, you know, really pushed me along and and gave me the confidence that I needed to go ahead and dip my toe in that water and I'm so glad I did because um being a woman in tech has been more than fulfilling and it's kept me on the um front edge of a lot of the innovation that has taken place over the last you know 15 years or so um and so once I entered the um tech space it became very clear to me that in order to be successful my teams had to be well prepared they had to be well trained they had to be well informed uh and so when i what i like to say is i tripped tripped and fell into the learning and development space because it was not where i uh intended on landing um and let me just say i'm so glad that i tripped and fell into it because it's where i belong um and now that i've been in uh learning and development for over 5 years 5 plus years now i have a lot more respect and a much different perspective on the value of uh training and also its intrinsic place in uh the business world there is a lot that can be done if training is delivered in in the right situations in the right modality with the right measurements and so i love what i do and it's been a lot of fun doing it in the tech space awesome i think so uh, everyone has a story and i personally feel that whatever failure that you have is something that gives you that kind of pleasure when you reach to a level like that so, absolutely Yeah, thanks a lot for sharing your story. I think so that's how things actually naturally work for us. Amazing. 
So let's warm you up for this episode with some quick round of rapid fire. So what what exactly this is, Kemi, that uh, you have to give the first word that comes to your mind or first sentence that comes to your mind. That's how you have to answer these questions. And we usually used to do this at the end of the show. But uh, this season, we decided that let's just try and twist it around with initial grounds so that we can warm you up and then maybe get deeper insights from you on the later stage as we go on. First question here is, what is the best thing that has happened to you this year? It's on, we're 24 days into 2023. Let's see. I I actually wound up on a family vacation accidentally. Oh. <laughs> So let me, let me elaborate a little bit. Um, my son plays club soccer and mm-hmm. um, we live in Arizona uh, in the United States. And he had a soccer tournament um, in Florida and that's, that's across the country. And so yeah. <clears throat> me, my husband, him and his little brother all went to Florida and mm-hmm. we anticipated that we were going to be, um, you know, tied up with soccer for 12 hours a day. That ended mm-hmm. up not being the case. And so as a result, we got to go to the beach and we got to go have fun with the team. And um, it turned into a little family vacation. So I would say that's the best thing that's happened so far. That's so beautiful. I think so family time is usually more fun and apart from work. <laughs> definitely. Yes, exactly. I wasn't working. That was the key. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. The second question is, uh, what advice do you have for the next generation that is coming up? Oh, that's such a good question. I would say seek to understand. Mm -hmm. Instead of making a snap judgment or reading something and and setting your opinion for the one thing that you've just read, um, seek out other perspectives because there is multiple sides to any given situation. And the way that we respond as humans um, is with that kind of context. And so my biggest advice for the next generation is seek to understand. Awesome. I think so. That's something Gen Z's really need. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) Okay. The next question, question here is name the worst job that you can think of. Oh, okay. Okay. So my brain immediately goes to something like, gross that I don't want to touch or be around. Honestly, though, if I'm if I'm really considering this, it would be to be a world leader. That is oh. the worst job I could ever think of. Because can you imagine the pressure to monitor? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't See. want, I would never sign up <laughs> to be <laughs> a prime minister, a president, a, you know, a, a, a country leader of any kind. I wouldn't do it. It's that would be a lot um, to handle. Even uh, as I see you leading a global director role with GoDaddy, that's also a, a one of the major responsibility that you have. You have to really train the people that you have in your organization and you have to make sure that they are up to the mark. So that's that's also one of the trickiest job that I can think of, frankly. <laughs> I You're think not so wrong. <laughs> You are not wrong. You are not wrong. But yeah, I take the prime minister thing as of now. Can you imagine, especially with some of the countries that have had a new one every, I don't know, three months recently? Oof, I can't imagine. So true. Okay. The last question uh, for the rapid fire. Uh, What in your own words make a great leader? Oh, I love that. I think it would be somebody who listens. And sometimes that's 
harder than it sounds. And so the best leaders I've had are the ones that give me an opportunity to speak what's on my heart as much as what's on my mind while not holding that against me. And I think that's key because as humans, um, we need to be able to feel our emotions and work through what those emotions are you know, bringing to the surface for us. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's how we'll always feel. So it is, you know, reaction versus response. And I think good leaders recognize when you're reacting versus when you're responding. And they give you the space to react so that you can get to the response. So I would say a good leader is a good listener. Absolutely right. Uh, Most of the leaders who are actually recognized for their achievements and all, they're absolutely the ones who are great listeners and they know what exactly their teammates, their people actually feel. And that's how they react and make the right decision for their organizations as well. Okay. Coming back to the questions around what we wanted to discuss today. Let's talk about uh, your current strength at GoDaddy as a L&D leader. Yeah. So my team and I are charged with supporting the uh, new hire programming for the entire globe. And so what does that mean exactly? Well, um, we have sites all over the world that we support um, the content and the delivery of um, what it takes to be a GoDaddy guide. And so our uh, learners are the people who pick up the phone and work with our customers. They're the ones on the other end of the chat. Um, They're the ones that are responding, you know, asynchronously as you try to run your business and, um, you know, uh, increase your profits. And so uh, my team and I take that very seriously. They are our number one customer, our learner. Um, And the reason they're our number one customer is because they take care of the customer as it relates to our our entrepreneurs. And so because we are GoDaddy and um, we offer an extensive product line, uh, we have to be really careful with um, what gets trained, how it gets trained, and um, the time and attention that we spend with the activities and, um, you know, ensuring that they can look for an answer if they can't remember an answer. And so a lot of what my team does is builds concepts that integrate systems, concepts, product knowledge, and troubleshooting, and then sales, of course. Um, and sales is woven through a lot of what we do, not just from a, um, trying to sell something, which is the obvious reason to teach sales, but also from a soft skills perspective, because I, we often have to troubleshoot and seek to understand what a customer situation actually is. And before we can sell them anything, we have to solve their problem. And uh, there's a lot of skills that come out in a salesperson's repertoire that allows for that consultative approach that allows for them to ask the right questions so that they're not playing 20 questions um, and, uh, you know, really hone in on what the problem is, solve that problem, and then recommend a solution that will um, avoid this problem in the future. It's a complex job, but you know what? We have a lot of fun. I will say that. Um, We make sure that we stay really close to the learner uh, because that's, Mm -hmm. that's important. The 
learning and, and development world is in the middle of a evolution with us having to go home uh, post, you know, in the pandemic. And now we're coming back in a hybrid kind of uh, way. We're having to get creative with how we approach things. And so um, my team is really excited about this year because we're going to start testing into um, some new modalities, um, you know, gamification, um, micro learning, uh, and social learning. And I'm really excited about that. That's a lot, I think so. And uh, one question that I, I really personally like to ask you is that since there are different geographies, different people, different kind of customers they have to deal with, uh, what is how do you actually manage because whatever you teach to your sales team is absolutely different from what they end up receiving from the customers how do you make sure that is uh, actually in sync with different geographies and different customers and different cultures also yeah that's a great question there's a few things that have to take place it's about providing uh, strong enough activities that allow for muscle memory to be built throughout the course of training. Um, we do a lot of role play. We do a lot of redirection. That was great. Even better if, what would that sound like in this situation? And that's really important because doing that role play and being able to respond in a safe environment with somebody who's, you're not impacting their day. It's, it's, you know, your trainer. It's somebody who's there to do the very thing that you're, you're working on right now. Right. Um, it allows them the opportunity to call on what they said in training and how they approached that mock call or conversation when they get to the real conversation. That's one piece of it. So that's the foundational piece. The second piece of it is observing. You want to make sure that you are, you're not just letting the learner go and, um, and, and assuming that they're prepared and ready to take on the varying different calls that we take every day. Um, because you have to be able to inspect what you expect. And so by observing, by listening, uh, by, you know, redirecting immediately after a call ends or, you know, helping someone truly in the middle of a call. Sometimes, sometimes we ask them to put the customer on hold for a moment so that we can guide them through what we're going to tell them to answer the customer with, why this answer is the right answer and what the customer may respond with next so that they're not just comfortable with what they're going to say, they're comfortable with why they're saying it and can anticipate where the customer is going to go in the conversation so that they don't have to go into another pause and, and ask additional questions. So there's a, there's a preparedness that has to happen as much as an inspection that has to happen on the back end. Now, as it relates to culture, I think that's a, that's a really key point because how somebody in the United States expects to receive service is much different than someone mm -hmm. in EMEA, uh, in Europe or in India or in Spain, right? Oh. They have a different level of either expertise that they come to the table with or, or lack thereof, depending on what we're talking about, right? And so what's, what's really important is that, um, there are still fundamental human behaviors mm -hmm. 
that transcend all culture. And that is empathy. Empathy yeah. is, is really important. Uh, and it's, you know, ensuring that the customer understands what they're calling about or what their contact is about matters mm-hmm. and their time matters and that we're going to, they came to the right place. Yeah. The second piece of it is um, what I mentioned before, and that's solving the problem. You have to earn the right to suggest anything additional to anyone. And you do not earn that right until you have solved the reason that they are calling in the first place. Once the solve has happened, now, not only have you earned the right to ask some additional questions that might lead to a sale or, you know, improve profit in some way, shape, or fashion, you also have called on the law of reciprocity. And what I mean by that is because I scratched your back by solving the problem, could you scratch my back by exploring an option that uh, may benefit you in the future? And so it's really important that when we uh, design our training programs across the globe, that we call on those fundamental human needs um, Mm -hmm. like empathy like building trust and, you know, using that trust that you've built uh, to gain confidence with your customer. Amazing. I think so customer first approaches, uh, even if you see any tech companies as well, one of the major tech companies also follow the same rule that when you believe the customer is your first door to anything, the door is always open and you have to experience that what is coming next there. So that's an amazing job, I think. So your team is doing and obviously under your guidance. (laughs) Okay. There's there's a different question that I have uh, in my mind, which I would like to ask you. Uh, Since uh, during one of our conversations, you mentioned uh, finding the ROI from a non-revenue generating roles. I'm sure our listeners will be very interested to know the secret behind it. Is there anything specific that you have in mind? How do you actually work on uh, such processes? In Absolutely. Yeah. And I love this question because it is, it's, it's what we call the unicorn in uh, learning and talent, right? How do we measure the impact of the training that we build and deliver. Um, it, it's sometimes it's very, it's right in front of your face. Sometimes your stakeholder will come prepared with these are the measurements that we would like to track. And here's what we see as, as what would be success. Yep. That's one in a thousand in mm-hmm. most cases, right? Most of the time our stakeholders don't come with that kind of information. Mm-hmm. And so. Oftentimes, uh, there's a need to do a strong needs analysis that lends to baseline. So what are we trying to solve? If I'll take a, a systems example, that's, that's the easiest one to give from an ROI perspective. Oftentimes, uh, learning and development is called upon to um, implement a new system rollout. And that new system rollout is viewed as it's it's technical, this is pretty straightforward. It's always presented in a really simple way yeah. where we always know it's never as simple as it's presented. Right? So we have to peel back those layers. Mm-hmm. And um, oftentimes, if you're looking at system implementations, there's a reason that we've chosen to go with a new system. Typically, it lands in the realm of efficiency, mm-hmm. cost savings, yep. and time savings, which does equate to cost savings, right? Uh, and then it obviously rolls into that efficiency piece. And so what we have begun to do is um, we've started to identify what kind of measurements can we track that shows and proves the efficiency 
mm-hmm. of the rollout of the tool? Did we save time? Mm-hmm. If so, how did we track that? Mm-hmm. Um, because there's there's so many different ways to track time. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's SLAs, right? So how long did it take for a loop to get closed or a gap to get closed or a process to get closed? Um, sometimes it's a number of um, instances, right? So maybe it's um, there was X amount of uh, fail points that happened prior to the system implementation, X amount of fail points that lessened mm-hmm. post implementation of the system. Okay. That's also a, a time and cost savings. Mm-hmm. And then finally, um, it's recognizing where did training come in and make that impact? At what point did we see mm-hmm. the shift in uh, the results? Because if you follow where the result is, you can track it back to where the behaviors changed. That's and right. typically the behavior change is just an adoption of a tool if we're talking about a system rollout. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes what we'll do is we'll line up the baseline. Okay, this is what it was prior to the system rollout. And then we'll do a 30, a 60, a 90-day post-evaluation where we'll see, compared to the baseline, what are we at now? And often, we won't see it right away. It'll be, and if we do, it's an early adoption. And that's okay. We like early adoption. We'll Mm -hmm. usually see it dip in that 60-day evaluation because they're getting the widgets out. They're trying to figure out, you know, does the tool work all the time? Do I understand how to navigate the tool in the way that I want to? How much am I uh, utilizing the tool? Because if I'm not utilizing it a lot, I'm not going to be able to figure out, I'm not going to get those widgets out as fast, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the 90 day. And that's typically where we start to see that that bell curve start to come back up uh, because mm-hmm. people are now more comfortable. Uh, tribal knowledge has started to take place. Social learning has started to take place. Peers are helping each other out. And the adoption of the tool is now starting to become second nature. So that's typically how uh, we've started to measure ROI. Mm -hmm. Wow. I think so. There's a lot that companies actually can learn from the process that you follow. And uh, definitely there's, there's a lot in store. And I'm sure as our conversation goes, there would be more that people can learn. Okay, It sounds really straightforward, doesn't it? Yeah. It's not always. Let me be really clear about that. Sometimes it is um, like looking for a needle in the haystack. Once we get it to click with the stakeholder, typically we get the metrics that we need. Not always, though. And I want to be really clear about um, it's not a it's not a foolproof method. Uh, it is one, though, that we have started to gain um, traction with. And we are we are starting to see some consistency and some regularity with um, proving out. So it's exciting. Awesome. OK, coming to the next question. It would be fun if you could uh, share some stories about how you were able to transform your training by reducing 70% of your support tickets and how that impacted the business uh, outcome. Oh, I love this question. Okay. So this was a lot of fun, actually. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take us back. Uh, let's see. It's 2023 now, if you can believe it. It has been three years since the pandemic, mm-hmm. since the shutdowns, right? Yeah. And, um, GoDaddy, just like everyone else across the world, was not ready Mm -hmm. to bring their entire workforce home in a matter of hours, because that's exactly how it happened. And I have to give a little bit of context here, because I think it's really important uh, 
and I, I believe that other um, organizations can relate to this. We mm-hmm. were not a work from home organization, not because um, we felt the need to, you know, monitor everything that our employees were doing. It, it, it wasn't about, um, you know, being concerned about productivity. That wasn't what it was. What it was is our offices were fun mm-hmm. and engaging and you wanted to be there. You wanted to uh, come to work and, you know, um, get on the phones and celebrate and get that, that, you know, really strong interaction, lots, you know, games and activities and, you know, lunch and the whole thing. Okay. It's, it's like going to an amusement park when you go to work kind of thing. So much fun. And that worked really, really well for us. And so when it came time to come home, we just weren't prepared. We, this was not in our wheelhouse. Um, and it, there were no plans for us to have a work from home workforce. And so all of our training content was, um, set up for in-person delivery. So we pivoted like the rest of the world did and we made it work. And, um, and I, in my humble opinion, we did an outstanding job of adjusting to the, the needs of the time. Um, so what ended up happening was all of these processes and these new, um, setups were quick and, um, I like to say quick and dirty because that's kind of how they were. <laughs> They they uh, were intended to be temporary because remember, at least in the United States, two weeks, we were only supposed mm-hmm. to go home for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, two weeks turned into three years. Yeah. So here we came two years mm-hmm. later and we're still working off of the same temporary processes that we mm-hmm. set up when we went home at the pandemic in 2020. So it was mm-hmm. time for us to release you know, lay some foundational work. And so what we did was we identified that when we would send our new hires, their work from home technology kits, their computer, their mouse, their um, headset, their um, ethernet cable, all of it, um, that we were having a lot of challenges on the day one setup of their equipment. Um, It was a strain on the training team. It was a strain on our um, IT team. It was a strain on uh, our systems because uh, they they were having to file lots of tickets. They were ha- they were really confused. They weren't getting set up in the right way. It was frustrating for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And so as we came along, we created a couple of guides. So we created a PowerPoint guide to help them understand this is what comes in your your work from home kit. Um, these are the ways in which you set it up step by step. Well, we recognize, though, that not everybody does well with just a uh, red instructional type manual, right? Not everybody um, can read something and follow those instructions. Ikea, anybody? (laughs) This is why Ikea has such a hard time, right? Because you have to be able to follow the instructions as they're written. And not everybody's brain works that way. So we in learning recognize, okay, we need to offer a couple of different ways for our new hires to be able to set up their work from home equipment. So we worked closely with IT and we developed some day one videos is what we call them. Mm-hmm. And we had some fun with this. So they weren't just your, your you know, boring um, uh, 
please unpack your box like robots. We didn't do that. We turned it into um, like an unpacking video, like a podcast type uh, video. And so as you're, as he's um, the, the guide is pulling out their work from home equipment there. There's excitement. Oh, look at this ethernet cable. They set us up. Like it's just, it's a lot of fun, right? So it's, it's very um, in with the times. And then we also took them through the next series is just helping them understand how to set up their equipment. They're watching a video. They're Mm -hmm. seeing somebody do this. They're seeing the same cable that they just received in their box on screen, going into the computer and then the the monitor. And and it's now what we've done is we brought the setup into the home. So we tested this because what we didn't want to do is create these videos, think that they were going to be the fix, and then they they totally failed. So we wanted to make sure that um, we tested it with a few different new hires before we rolled it to the whole globe. And so we did that. Mm -hmm. And In our first initial test, we did three different classes uh, in the fourth quarter of last year, and Mm -hmm. we reduced our IT help desk tickets on day one by 70%. Typically on day one, Mm -hmm. our new hires would be set up by about 2.30 in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And to put this in perspective, they started at seven. So almost eight hours was how long Mm -hmm. it was taking for them to set up their computer equipment. And that was with... Uh, upwards of 30 to 50 IT tickets being filed on day one for each class. Okay. The very first class they set up by 1130 and they had 13 total mm-hmm. IT tickets. The second class they set up mm-hmm. by 11. So they, they shaved by 30 minutes. And then the third class, we started to see that, um, that typical time set, right? So they were now, setup is is cut down to it's by like six hours that we saved on day one and um the tickets that we get now are typically user error uh, they did a step out of order or this maybe it's maybe it's not user error but it's you know the system didn't didn't reset correctly or something along those lines and so it's much less and mm-hmm. and we have more time now on day one to do things like, um, mixers with their supervisors, you know, focus on the GoDaddy culture, uh, mm-hmm. do really good, strong, you know, benefits, conversations, those kinds of things. And so we're really excited about that because not only has it benefited our learners, but it's definitely benefited our, our training team as well. Awesome. I think so. Th- there was a huge shift from these last three years and everyone has transformed their way of their training. But there's a lot. And I haven't heard anyone actually creating these personalized videos. So amazing stuff. Uh, that I, I Even I learned. <laughs> Good. So, Yay. That's what we're here to do. That's what we are here uh, to do today. I think so. Just, okay. Coming to the next question. What are your thoughts on considering training as a business process and streamlining the business processes based on the learning from these trainings? Yes. Yes. Yes, we need to do this. (laughs) Uh, I can't tell you how often my team and I hear from other resource teams how uh, integrated we are in the various facets of the business. Because what ends up happening is, is let's say our project management team, PMO, they they absolutely ensure that our major projects are uh, brought to fruition and 
you know, stay on track and all the right people are in the right place. That doesn't necessarily mean that they touch all facets of the business though, um, because they, they work with the key members of the project teams, but those key members of the project teams are the ones that do a lot of the um, groundwork to bring it all together, right? So training really and truly, they have to work with training with IT Mm -hmm. training has to work with recruiting Mm -hmm. has to work with HR has to work with marketing Mm -hmm. has to work with uh, product has to work with operations, right? I I could keep going. And Mm -hmm. so quite literally we are at the center of a lot of what happens and, and is the initiatives of the organization. And so if learning and development was considered part of the business process, much like budget is, much like marketing is, we would A, head off gaps earlier. And so we would be able to say, have you considered this? Have you talked to this line of business? Have you met with, you know, this resource group and catch those early on? Because we already know that we're going to have to. That's just part of what we do, right? I think the other piece of it is, is that our stakeholders often forget that training isn't free. No, that's right. Because they don't see it being built, which that's that's how it goes, right? Yeah. We as humans, we have to see it in order for our perspective to, to uh, be what it should. And if we don't see it, we don't recognize or give credit to how much goes into the creation of something. And so... If we were part of the process, we would be able to say, okay, you want to deliver this type of training. Mm -hmm. It's going to take roughly this much time, this many people, Mm -hmm. and that's going to cost this much money. So absolutely, yes, L&D should 100% be a part of business processes. That's true. I think so. a lot of companies don't even realize that maybe coming years, that would be a part of... Uh, considering that as a part of the ROI and the business processes. Also. Yeah, I, I'm i lucky because I have a mentor uh, who's been in learning and talent for much longer than I. Um, mm-hmm. And she, her philosophy is that she runs training as a business. There, we are a cost center. Mm-hmm. We also enable revenue. We also uh, ensure that there are cost savings. Mm-hmm. And so... While we are a cost center, mm-hmm. we bring intrinsic value to the business that we are measuring and that we are tying back to an ROI or a cost saving initiative. And it's really important that that continues to be shared and distributed because mm-hmm. that is how we integrate ourselves into the business processes. Yeah, that, that's right. I think so. That that's a valuable point. And going forward, major majority of the companies will have to accept it. Maybe not today. Maybe in the future. That's what we can aim for. Please. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. I can. I think so. I, we can talk for hours, but I have to end this episode. So here comes the last question for today's podcast. Uh, how do you think L&D will change or evolve in 2023? Do you have a mantra in mind that you feel our audience 
should follow? Oh, that's a big question. Yes. I think the evolution that we're seeing actively right now is the integration of micro learning. And, and let's just talk about TikTok for a second. Yep. How many times have uh, you heard or even yourself done it, seen mm-hmm. a 30 second TikTok and tried whatever it is that they're telling you, teaching you, or um, sharing with you. Example, we made a crockpot chicken recipe last week based on a TikTok video that literally took us 30 seconds to walk. It was delicious. Mm-hmm. My family was well-fed. And that, to me, was well worth 30 seconds of my time so that I could try something new and introduce something new to my family. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I uh, learn something, I try to bring that into the programs that we design and, and build. Because if it worked for me, mm-hmm. why can't it work for our new hires or our incumbents? It can. Yeah. Right. And so I think I think it's really about embracing the technology that we have today and the modalities that mm-hmm. uh, the whole world is consuming right now. I think that's the first thing. As far as a mantra goes, yes, there is absolutely a mantra I have for this year. I'm so glad that you asked because my team and I are in the middle of of uh, goal planning for 2023 and we've come up with some themes. Mm-hmm. And um, as we all consider what it means to go back to the office, because that's starting to be the, um, the, the theme around the world mm-hmm. is coming back to the office. And I think mm-hmm. most organizations recognize that coming back to the office is not going to be a full-time thing that's they're they're going to have to ease the workforce into it. So what does that mean? That means hybrid. That means that we're going to probably go to a more consistent hybrid training environment where we have people in the office in front of us while we're also on video training virtually. So at the same time. And I think the mantra that my team and I are taking into 2023 is bringing training into the home. Because what I'm finding is fundamentally, we're missing the uh, ability to look over to the to the person to your right and say, I don't know where to go from here. Can you show me what I'm doing wrong? Like we, we're missing that. And I think that would, it would transform confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it yep. would improve competence. And it would create an opportunity for there to be a camaraderie uh, that uh, we have to work really hard for right now. And so um, we have a lot of ideas on how we want to do that. Uh, And I think it really does come back to uh, making sure that whatever is happening from the uh, home, that it Mm -hmm. feels like you're in the class, whatever that looks like. And I think there's a couple of different ways that we can do that, but... That's going to be my mantra, bringing the classroom into the home. Got that. I think so. Uh, that That's, again, one of those things most of the companies should follow. There's a lot, Kemi, that you have uh, spoken in this entire episode. I'm sure our listeners would have a lot to talk around or uh, take that home. And uh, uh, what an amazing episode, frankly. 
and i'm sure our audience uh, will have learned a lot of hacks around finding the roi from their investments learned about how training could have been better with the different with different twist actually it's not just always about finding uh, the right people to pitch it's about how you actually understand what they are going through so sure. great job that you and your team have done and here we come to the end of another episode of the digital adoption show any parting thoughts kemi for our audience thank you so much for spending time with us today and uh i can't wait to see where uh learning and development goes over the next 5 years because i think we're on the precipice of doing new innovative innovative creative and fun things in the classroom so i'm really excited about the future of training awesome and how can uh, kemi our audience reach out to you if someone wants to know or uh, talk to you about something on lnt terms absolutely find me on linkedin please it's kemi wood and i'm sorry i don't know what my <laughs> handle is for linkedin but if you find me it's c a m m y W O O D. Awesome. I think so. If you are not able to find her, please let us know. We'll definitely share her LinkedIn. Uh, yes, please. All of you. Thanks a lot uh, for listening to this amazing episode of the Digital Adoption Show Season Three. We had a great time with Kami today, and do share or follow us on uh, podcast uh, on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. We are available on all these different platforms. go ahead check out and uh, do share your reviews with us thank you so much uh, for listening to this episode see you in the next episode soon thank you okay.